Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. We're going to be beginning this book or this chapter here tonight. And I have to say as we open the study that it is wonderful to see God's activity without his name even being mentioned. Throughout this book, we can see as even as he works today in the lives of his people, that he is ever present, as we've heard uh, attested in uh, lessons brought on the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And I am, I'm just, uh, I just believe that Mordecai and Esther had this understanding that God was working these things out according to his eternal purpose, that there was no mistakes being made, that the elevation of Esther to the position that she was was not a mistake, and that Haman was going to hate Mordecai so much was not a mistake. It was God's eternal purpose. And in this tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we find that it begins with an interesting statement, the king could not sleep. On, on that night, could not this king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. We notice here at this time, as in every place in Scripture, that God was overruling in all things. There is a, there is a, a, a plan that has been signed by the king. It has been brought up by the second in command and it's been signed by the king that on a certain day, on a certain month in this year, that they're going to exterminate the people of God, the Jews, out of this kingdom. (coughs) And the king has not thought much about it until now. We're going to see that he's going to think a lot about what he has signed unwittingly. And we're going to see that it's going to be carried out for God's purpose, all things. And here, uh, one person said, How vain are all the contrivances and endeavors of all this foolish, impotent man against the wise and omnipotent God, speaking of Haman, who has the hearts and hands of kings and all men at his disposal. Isn't that interesting? that God would have the hearts and hands of all kings at his disposal. He put them there on purpose so that he could use them for his glory and honor and praise. He is, we're going to see the elevation of Mordecai and we'll see the disgrace of Haman. In Esther chapter 6 and verse 1, we talk about a king. It shares with us that there's a king here that could not sleep. You know, The ability of not sleeping at night is also mentioned with regard to believers. I'd like to read a couple of verses in the Psalms, if you'd join them there. Sometimes we might have some trouble going to sleep, and here we find the reason for that for believers is just this. In the book of Psalms, the Psalms, and in Psalm uh, 63, Psalm 63, would you join me there as we see these words, that there's things that God brings to pass in our lives in the night seasons. Here in Psalm 63, there's no wasted time with God. He's not wasting his time. He's not wasting our time. And here in Psalm 63, in verse 6, the scriptures share this. 
When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. What a blessing we have, even at that time, to meditate upon God, to think upon God, to think upon his purpose, to think upon his providence, to think upon, even I woke up and he has brought this to my knowledge, to think about him, to consider him, to meditate upon him. I remember an old preacher saying that many people have almost forgot how to meditate. That's just think about. We call it ruminate. (laughs) Ruminate on God. And sometimes in the night seasons, that's when we have the greatest privilege. And then if you look back with me in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, we have these words recorded again about the things that take place in the night season. Here's a king that couldn't sleep. He gets up and he requests the reading of the history of the kingdom. Here we find in Psalm 16 and verse 7. Psalm 16 and verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. And that is, uh, my heart instructs me. Yes, even during the night season. God permits us there to think upon, to be instructed. The word of God to be brought to us. To think upon these words that God has given us. There's so much in the book and how blessed it is that he would bring to our mind one passage of scripture or two or three in the night seasons. And then we find this out about God. If you'll turn with me to the book of the Psalms again, Psalm 121. In Psalm 121, we find out that we're in good company in Psalm 121 and verse 4. Psalm 121 and verse 4 it says, Behold, it keepeth he that keepeth Israel. So we're in good company. When we wake up in the middle of the night, the Lord gives us a passage of Scripture or a thought uh, of His omnipotence or His omniscience or His omnipresence or His great work of grace in our hearts, how He's led us out of darkness to His bright light of the Lord Jesus. All of these things as we recount and go over again the rich blessings of grace. Here we find He that keepeth Israel. Behold, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So we have someone that's going to hear us too. There's God is awake. He never sleeps. He never is. a. Uh, we remember when that prophet said, maybe your God's in a far country. Maybe you should cry out to him. Maybe he's doing something with somebody else. Well, we find out that God is ever present with all his saints. And you know what? He's ever present with all those that he has chosen to be saints, that he has not quickened yet. He's with them all. So even in the night seasons, and we read here that he that keepeth Israel, God, neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is not weary. He does not grow tired of our conversation with him. So God is ever present. And some have written that, that as we look here, that Satan had put into the heart of Haman... We're going to have him right back here into this chapter. He's going to come and see if he can't get Mordecai hanged quicker than he hoped or thought about. But some have even thought that it was that it was Satan that put this idea of hanging Mordecai in Haman's heart. You know, Haman had the capability of doing that on his own. He didn't need any help. He didn't need Satan doing that. In fact, we find that it wasn't Satan. Back up, if you would, in the book of Esther chapter 5. In Esther chapter 5, we find the answer to this. In Esther chapter 5, 
And there in verse 9, here's the problem that we have. This is Haman's problem. This is our problem. The heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. And in verse uh, in Esther chapter 5 and verse 9, then, when Haman, then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when, he, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against him. This is all his problem. This is all him. So this man is full of indignation. He was full of hate. And it was his heart condition we can clearly see that God put in the king's heart to deal positively with Mordecai. God dealt with him. He moved upon him. He's a pagan king. And he says that Mordecai is, and we're going to get there, Mordecai is to be given great honor. Well, God moved upon King Ahasuerus to honor Mordecai. But it wasn't Satan that moved in the heart of Haman to be angry with Mordecai. It's him. It's his own problem. He has this problem. It's a heart problem. And we find out that Satan does not have the power to stir us, to move in us. We find that God Almighty is the only one that can stir us. Satan can't do anything. Satan can't make a sin. Satan can't do anything without permission. And we're going to look here at that in just a moment. But join me, if you would, over in the book of Ezra, chapter 1. We've read this a number of times, but it just fills in here so well as we think about what's taking place here in Esther. There's not the name of God mentioned, but we can see his footprints. There's not the name of God mentioned, but we can see his fingerprints all over the book of Esther, just like we can find it throughout all the scriptures. His footprints are there. His handprints are there. His purpose is there. He's carrying it out to the fullest extent. It tells us in Ezra chapter 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Now that's God's activity. And he stirred up uh, King Ahasuerus. He woke him up by night. He said, you need to go down and read something. Now, we might say, why didn't he honor Mordecai earlier? Because it wasn't needed earlier. Now is the time. This is the time that Mordecai needs to be brought and attention given to him. So this God that is written in the Bible and this God that his people worship, he's the God that stirs his people. He's the God that moves in them. He's the God that moves them to grace. He's the God that stirs them up. And we find that this is so carried out in the Scripture. The same word is used if you would join me in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have the same word brought out about being stirred. God is stirring King Ahasuerus. And He stirred him so much He woke him up. And He can't get back to sleep. Now, a believer may lay there and meditate upon the things of God, but God has stirred him up to get up. I don't believe, at this point at least, he knows the first thing about God. His wife does. Esther does. She knows a lot about God. She knows that this God is the one who saved her by His grace. This is the one who delivered her. 
This is the one who brought her out of Jerusalem and Judea and into the kingdom of King Ahasuerus on purpose. And so here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have these words that mention the same word that it says there stir in the book of, e- of uh, uh, Ezra chapter 1. In chapter 32, and there in verse 9, chapter 32 and verse 9 says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. We got that still over here in the kingdom of Ahasuerus. He knows where his people are. He's put them on purpose. He knows where they all are out of every kingdom, nation, people, and tongue. He knows where they are. He found him in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness. Where did the Lord find us? Same place. If we don't recognize that, we don't know what God's talking about. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That's what the Lord does for his people. He leads us, he instructs us, and he keeps us close by. As an eagle stirreth up her nest. That's the same word, stir. An eagle stirring up her nest. Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on his, her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there is no strange God with him. So to the people of God, they did not fall into the trap that we're going to get into Numbers chapter 25. They didn't fall into that trap. There's a whole bunch of people in Israel that didn't know God. They fell into that trap. But we find some there that understood what was going on here, and it was absolutely wrong. But God's people don't fall in that trap. Though they stumble, they'll not utterly fall down. He keeps them. So as an eagle stirreth up her nest, that's what God did for Ezra, or for uh, King Cyrus in the book of Ezra. That's what he's done for this king, King Ahasuerus. He's gone to bed. He's tired, he goes to sleep, and lo and behold, at the appointed time, God wakes him up, God stirs him, and brings him into the reading room, and he commands, he woke some more people up. Need someone to read this passage there, these uh, chronicles. <clears throat> the Lord continues to stir up his people, and we're going to follow uh, this. So going back there to the book of, uh, of the book of of uh, Esther, we notice there in chapter six and verse one. So the king, excuse me, I've gone one chapter too far. Chapter six, verse one. On that night, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles. Now, apparently, as some people who have known more about these these countries than I do, apparently that it was a daily task of someone, a scribe, to write down what had happened in that day for the king's record. It was a chronicle, a daily chronicle. And some of those people that wrote about it said that this was in, uh, was in poetry. They had the, the best poets in the land that would write this. So it wasn't as, uh, uh, as hard and harsh as we might think about reading history, but it was the record of the people. Now, we find that this king had nothing to do with where it started reading. King Ahasuerus didn't say, turn to chapter 27 of my reign. 
verse 23, it was left to the reader. Now, I find it quite interesting that, again, the very fingerprints of God are all over this because this person that was called on and commanded to read the Chronicles for a king who was woke up or stirred up by God to have this read to him, turned to the exact place that needed to be turned. I find that's interesting, that it was at the right place, that it was here that God moved upon this reader to read. Now, we find, I find another place in Scripture, and I'm sure there are many more, but there's another time in Scripture that really touches my heart, and that's in the book of Acts when Philip was called on to join himself to a chariot. Now, that man had been down, the Ethiopian eunuch had been down to Jerusalem to worship. He had a scroll, and he had it open at the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Now, some may say that is just the way things turned out, but I find out that God left his fingerprints right there and had it opened at the right place And Philip came up and started asking questions. And they began at that place to read. And Philip began at that place and preached unto him Jesus. The 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Well, over here in the book of Esther, we find that the book is open to the place that has Mordecai mentioned by name. It's in the record. It's in the Chronicles. It's in the books of the history of the Persian Empire that Mordecai did something for the king. It was found, in verse 2, it was found written in this. Just look at the fingerprints of God all over this. His name is not mentioned in this book, but by his fingerprints we know it's him. He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, and he worketh all things well. Here, in this passage of Scripture, it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains. Now, they were men of high position in the kingdom, and they were counseling among themselves how to get rid of the king. And... By God's providence, by God's purpose, Mordecai overheard this and reported it. And the report was taken to the king, and it was found out that these men were actually counseling to overthrow the king, and he had them taken and removed from the kingdom permanently. The keepers of the door, they were keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. Now, to me, it's just God's working. To many people, this would be just a miracle. It would be a quinky dink <laughs> that he opened, they opened the page where this incident went on. And we know over here, because we know the rest of the story, that Mordecai is in serious, serious danger by Haman, and there has already been a gallows built to hang him on. And we'll notice here momentarily that Haman is there to get this taken care of quicker than he thought. 
because he could see some handwriting on the wall. Well, the king said, what honor, what, what, what special note has been made to King Morde- or to Mordecai? What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Well, it was also in the record. <laughs> Nothing. That's how clear these records were. Now, I asked myself, why wouldn't that be taken care of when the incident took place? Why wouldn't the king honor him when the incident took place? What caused him to forget this? What caused him to set it aside? Oh, he got busy. He All these things could happen. But we know the real reason. We know that God moved on him to have an absent memory about this until later. It wasn't the time. It wasn't needed now. And Mordecai didn't do it for reward. He did it for his king, and he did it for the glory of God. So the king asked the question, what's been, what has been given to this man? You know, as we follow this through, this whole book of Esther is just full of these same kinds of incidences. You cannot call it a coincidence. It is the very purpose of God, how he is dealing with his people. Now, it may look like he's not being very serious about it, but he's being absolutely serious about it. You know, the same thing happens to us today. We may not be able to see him. In fact, when you come and tell me that you've seen God with your physical eyes, we need to have a conversation because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But to the believer, he is just as if he is before us, leading us. He's a spirit that is leading his people and he is spiritual and his word is spiritual. And he leads us through the word and he'll never lead us contrary to his word. So we find here that this one, Mordecai, what has happened? What, what? Well, nothing has been given to him. He's not been granted any reward. The king said there, what honor, what dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, they could have just said, oh, right here, nothing. It's a blank spot in the book. Nothing has happened. And you know, King Ahasuerus instantly says, we've got to take care of that. We can't have that happen. I'm, I'm so, see Mordecai, when he did that, it was not for reward. And God's people don't serve God for reward. They serve God out of love for God. He is our God, our master, and he's, we're not expecting a reward. You know, religion has the carrot and the whip. Religion has the carrot and the whip. You get this if you're good, and you'll get this if you're bad. And God has every spiritual blessing for his people. He leads them and directs them as he has approved and purposed. And here we find that carried out by King Ahasuerus to Mordecai. Now, as we we follow this, we find that 
Uh, now was the time of need. This is when it needs to take place. Join me, if you would, over in the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Let's just read there for a moment. In the book of Galatians chapter 1, we have the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit. Paul is the secretary. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, is the author of the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. Now, I kind of believe that Paul at one time wondered why the Lord would let him do all the things he did. All the people that he witnessed the death of and called for the death of. All the people he got letters to bring them back to Jerusalem and be tried. All of that. Why, Lord, did you allow that to happen? Why didn't you save me first? And here we find the same reason that King Ahasuerus didn't reward Mordecai earlier. But when it pleased God. Now, in Paul's case, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that's what pleased God. That is at the right time that God saved Saul of Tarsus. And exactly the right moment did this council get together at night over the book of the records, the chronicles, and find out that there was a man that had reported two men that had intent to kill the king to dispose of him, that this had never been mentioned except the record was made. Nobody had ever been given anything for it. And now it comes up. It's at the right time. The Lord Jesus said, Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All that happened in the Lord's ministry, it seemed good in thy sight. Here we find during the times of Esther and Mordecai, when it seemed good in thy sight, I like what the Lord said to one of the, one of the disciples about how are we going to take care of all these people? Here's a whole host and they're hungry. How are we going to take care of them? That he might test him. But the scripture says, and he said to prove or to test him for he himself knew what he would do. He always knew what he would do. That is his, and we thank God for that. We're not caught short. We're not caught, I wonder what's going to happen next. Well, God has it all worked out for his glory and his honor and his praise. We find out that he is the omnipotent one and he's the omniscient one and he had the power to do and he determined to do and he did it. So right here at night, candles burning, it brings up the fact that Mordecai had never been honored for what he had done for the king and now is the appropriate time. And as we go back here to the book of, of uh, Esther again, let's go back to the book of Esther chapter 6. In Esther chapter 6, we read these words about God's providence in Esther and the rest of those folks' lives. In Esther chapter 6, it tells us here in, the, in verse 5, or verse 6, Verse 6, it says, And the king said, Who is in the court? What had happened earlier this very day? Well, maybe. Maybe it's after midnight right now. Okay, so the previous day. What had just happened? 
Queen Esther had had a banqueting of wine with her husband and with Haman just hours before this. Now the question comes up, who is in the court? One more time we find that God has stirred a man to be at the right place at the right time. Now this is not going to be for a reward. Mordecai has been going to be given great reward, and in fact we find out that he eventually is going to take Haman's spot. Mordecai will become second in command. But who is in the court? Who is here? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house. Now this is his mission. This is what he's going to request to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. That is in his heart. He came at night. He hoped he could get an audience at night. He's out there at night, and he never once gets the opportunity to open his mouth about Mordecai and hanging. Now, he is going to tell us here, the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court, and the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now notice the rest of that verse. And Haman thought in his heart. There's only one person that the king can be thinking about now. And it's me. One person that the king can be thinking about. He said in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? So he's going to give, what, what uh, Haman answered a uh, king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Well, since it's me, let me have royal apparel, let me have the crown, let me have the king's horse, let me be the king for a day, an hour. That's what he's really saying. He says here, let the royal apparel be brought. Well, isn't that interesting? The royal apparel. Hmm. That the king useth to wear, and the horse the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. Now, what does Haman want to be? He wants to be the king. He is, in some ways, he's more of a problem than those two that that Mordecai reported. And so, which is set on his head, and let his apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before On and on and on and on this guy goes because he thinks the honor's for him. Isn't it interesting that God moved to honor a man and moved to dishonor another man? What does he say in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans? Doth not the potter have power over the clay? We have that so demonstrated right here. We have Jacob's and Esau's mentioned right here. We have a man that is going to be given a great honor that he's not looking for, he's not seeking, 
How many of us were in that position? We weren't looking for God when he found us. And on the other side, he says, what if God willing to show his power in the vessels made for destruction? And would God do that? That's what God would do. He is God. Oh, anybody that questions God's sovereignty, his authority, his omniscience, his omnipotency, is in serious problems with God because he is the Lord. Let his, this, this apparel and everything be given. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then said the king to Haman, get ready to ride. Oh, no, get ready to walk. <laughs> the king said to Haman, oh my. This man had every bit of air let out of his tires. And a man who was not seeking one thing. He was not seeking an honor. He was not seeking reward. But he is going to be exalted by the king. God's great ability to lift his people out of the dung heap. To establish their goings to make them responsible before God, to love God with their being. Here it says, Then the king said, Haman, make haste, take the apparel and the horse, and thou hast, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Don't. Let one word hit the ground. Follow through with every one of these things. How it is. There's nothing. The king said, who's there? It's Haman. And here it is. The king's heart. I like what Proverbs 21 says. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. On a night so long ago, a king woke up, a pagan king, married to a Jewish Jewish lady, woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, and called on the records to be read, and the record is read at the very place where Mordecai had turned in two men that had thought ill against the king. We could go right over to the book of Acts chapter 9. Turn over there with me, Acts chapter 9. And, and we're going to read here about a man that is in the same, very same condition that Haman is in. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Haman came down to the court on one purpose. I want that man hung. Now, he knew he had to ask permission. He recognized at least on the outside that the king had to give him authority to do that. And he came begging that, but he didn't get his mouth open. He opened it to, well, he dis distributed his heart. Here in the book of Acts chapter 9, we're reading about Haman. Only his name is Saul. 
Saul of Tarsus. Now, Haman has been shared with us that he hates those Jews and he hates Mordecai the most. Can you hear what Mordecai is doing in his heart with what we read here? And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Can you hear Haman in those words? What's the difference between Haman and Saul of Tarsus? Capital G, capital R, capital A, capital C, capital E. Grace. That's the only difference. They are broken out of the same mold, of the same lump. Of the same lump. Now one God had an eye for, a name written, a Savior prescribed, a Lamb slain, all the works of righteousness carried out in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, and the other one He did not. They were alike. They had hate in their hearts. One had hate for Jews. The other one had hate for Christians. And many of them were Jews. Hate. I mean, breathing out, threatening to the slaughter. Haman comes in quickly as he can speak. The Lord God Almighty has other unalterable plans to take care of this situation. And he causes, like I've been talking about over there in the book of Numbers, that Balaam, he got his mouth set to say words and God took over his mouth. It was not his nature to speak blessings about the children of Israel, nor was it nature of a donkey to speak human conversation, but God did it both. Balaam spoke glory to God. Balaam honored God's people because God moved in his head and in his mouth. And here we're finding out that God, Almighty God, has unalterable plans. There is no shadow of turning with him. The plan and purpose of his Almighty has been that there will be no mistake. The king is a chosen vessel. Mordecai is a chosen vessel. Haman is a chosen vessel, and Esther is a chosen vessel. You know what he said about Pharaoh? He says, for this very reason have I raised thee up. Do you know what? He could say that about every believer. He could say that about Mordecai. He could say that about Haman. He could say that about, about uh, Esther. He could say that about Ahasuerus. For this very purpose have I raised thee up. Some to mercy and some to destruction. All right, let's go on and read here just a little bit. In the book of Esther, as we close out our thoughts for tonight, in the book of Esther, we find here in chapter 6, God has on purpose had Haman there in the court. Who's in the court? One man. What do I do to honor a man? And he thought in his heart, how selfish. This is what he's going to do for me. And so the king said, do this. Then, verse 11, then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done. Everything he's saying, he wished he could bite his tongue. 
And God is moving on him. Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hastened to his house mourning and having his head covered. He's so ashamed. Now it's interesting that in, there is, uh, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 14. Keep your finger right there. But in Esther chapter 4 in verse 14. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, this is what Mordecai said. Speaking to Esther. Now he is exhibiting and demonstrating faith that God gives. This is not his faith. This is faith that God gives. That's saving faith. We don't have faith like this. It's God's gift. It says here in Chapter uh, 4 and verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace. He's speaking to his niece, Esther. At this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He said, if it's not through you, it will be through someone. If it's not through you, Esther. Now, I don't think that he's holding her whole or harmless, he's just simply saying, if God doesn't use you, someone else will be used to deliver the Jews. Now turn with me, if you would, to Esther chapter 6 and verse 13. This is what Haman's wife and friends say. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, of all his, and all his friends, everything that had been followed him. Then said his Wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, if Mordecai be the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. Mordecai says, if the Lord doesn't save us through you, you'll find someone else. And these folks said, I'm sorry, but you're dead. You're a dead man. They saw something. They saw something. If Mordecai be the seed of the Jews. You know, at the time of, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there was one man said, you know, we've had this guy raise up and take away many. And then he's dead. And this guy raised up a bunch more. And now he's dead. And if this is what's happening be of God. We do not want to be found guilty of that. So, the last verse in that chapter, and while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hastened to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. Second banquet. It's time. Come. We have a conversation to make, and then we'll get into the next chapter, and we find out Haman's end is determined. It's always been determined. Same as the end of every believer has always been determined. Welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. We'll stop there for tonight.